expectations, I think, are something that in some way or another we all have, right? We all go into certain places or situations or relationships with a certain set of expectations. I had expectations what seminary would be like when I started seminary. It's a question that I kind of get somewhat regularly, was, was the priesthood what you expected it to be? Right? We all kind of go into it's just part of human nature. We go into it with these expectations, right? And we want, um, we want, to, we want to meet those expectations, right? We, we, because we know that we have expectations, the, what we therefore know is that other people have expectations, right? Sometimes that's formal expectations, like you have a job requirements or school requirements. There's a very clear expectation that you're supposed to be at, right? Sometimes it's not so formal in dealing with relationships or other people. They have expectations, and you have expectations, and of course we want to satisfy all those expectations, right? Whenever we, if we either, whether formally or informally, whenever we meet the mark, that, that's, an, that's an encouragement, right? That's an affirmation. We feel good whenever we, we feel like we've met that mark, right? On the flip side, whenever we don't meet the expectation, whenever we don't quite make the mark, that's a pretty discouraging experience, right? I think there's nothing more deflating than trying hard at something and feeling like we didn't make the mark, right? Because trying to meet expectations very quickly becomes, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do to be good enough, right? And if I don't make the expectation, if I don't meet the mark, then I'm not good enough. And that's perhaps, like I said, one of the most deflating experiences that we can have, right? And I say that to hone in on that very last sentence of the gospel we heard today. Be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or in the first reading, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We can read that sentence, like I oftentimes do and have, as God's expectation for us. God expects us to be perfect. God expects us to never fail. And then the next thought is that, well, I am not perfect. God expects me to be perfect. I am not perfect. Therefore, I'm not meeting the expectation. I'm not meeting God's expectation for me. I'm letting God down. I'm not good enough. And so I, okay, so I need to try to do better. I need to try to improve. And eventually, after trying to, to, trying to do better and then failing and then trying again and then failing, eventually I'm, I just get discouraged at the whole process, right? And eventually we just kind of give up on it. We become disillusioned, become disenchanted, we kind of write off these things that Jesus says a little bit extreme. That's not really realistic. And then I just kind of settle into a mediocre kind of cultural Catholicism, right? I'll just kind of, you know, do what I can. I'll come to Mass when I can, right? Except maybe when there's an LSU game or when there's a parade, right? Y'all passed that test. Good job. <laughs> right? I'll, come, I'll, I'll try again next week. Maybe, if nothing else comes up, right? That whole process is, I think, one of the most toxic things to an authentic faith, to a real living relationship with Jesus Christ, to, to what the mission of the church is all about. Because in that whole mindset, I'm not seeking to know Jesus. I'm seeking to check a box. I'm seeking to meet an expectation I'm, I'm, I'm not caring about the relationship in a sense, right? And if I, if I kind of settle into that mediocrity, 
that, that speaks a lot because when I see somebody who's like says one thing and does another, who kind of treats it as a peripheral thing, that encourages me to think the same way, right? No one is captivated by mediocrity. No one's evangelized by, by making compromises, right? At a spiritual director at the seminary, I think I've talked about him before, but he was known for having all these little witty sayings that rhymed, which worked because I still remember a lot of them that he would tell me in spiritual direction. And he had this saying, which I might have even said already, expectation leads to desolation. When I'm trying to satisfy expectations, that's just setting me up for failure. Because I'm not trying for the relationship. I'm trying to check this box. And because anyway, what's the point? I'm not meeting God's expectations, right? How can someone love me who, whose expectation I can't live up to? Right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't calling us to be saints. Because he is. The words that Jesus, that we heard in the gospel today are very true. We are, each one of us, without exception and without fail, are called to be holy. We are called to be saints. This room is all called to be a room full of saints. Every single one of our canonizations, myself included, every single one of us, that's the goal. That's a, a very real possibility that we should all be striving for. I want to talk about what this word perfect means, though. What is the perfection that Jesus is calling us to? See, that word perfect is something that's, that's fascinated me in my own prayer and my own study for, for the last couple years. What, what does that mean? What is Jesus getting at when he says, be perfect? What does that mean? And I would argue that our kind of American, Western mentality of perfection is not very helpful in trying to get at what Jesus is talking about. Because when I think of what, what, is, what does it mean to be perfect, I think of something that's perfect if there's nothing wrong with it. If there's no imperfections, then it's perfect. When I think of per I, I'm, the focus is, is almost on the negative. I know perfection by what it's not. When I can point to an imperfection, then I know this is not perfect. The word that Jesus uses, though, doesn't quite have that connotation. When Jesus says, be perfect, in a sense, if you kind of translate it a little bit more accurately, perfection, that word, talks about fulfillment. talks about completion. Being, like, accomplishing what you were made for, the purpose and the, the call that you were created for. Right? So, for example, the very last words that Jesus says on the cross, he says, it is finished, right? That word is the same word that's used in the gospel today. That's the mission that Jesus, this is what Jesus was, what came to earth for. He accomplished that mission. It is finished. It has come to its perfection, its, its completion. So maybe if we translate it, instead of saying be perfect, maybe be perfected. That's our call, to be perfected. Allow yourself to be perfected, to fulfill the purpose that God created each one of you for. And I think what that does is that, that highlights two things. Number one, it shows that perfection isn't, so to speak, a state, but more of a process. It focuses not on checking a box, but on diving into a relationship. Allow God to perfect you. Allow him to work in your heart so that you can accomplish the purpose that he created you for. Not about looking at the imperfections and focusing on the negatives that we all have, but keeping our eyes on Jesus focusing on diving in on that relationship and allowing him to come more fully into, into our hearts. 
And also what that does is that it shows us who the primary actor is. We, are, we allow ourselves to be perfected. We don't perfect ourselves. If we're trying to perfect ourselves, that's going to fail very quickly. It's God who perfects us. It's God who brings us to perfection. He's the primary actor. It's, it's all about not me trying harder, but me allowing him to dwell more fully in my heart. Allowing him to become the true center of my entire life. And so now you might ask Patrick, Father Patrick, I mean, that sounds great. How do I do that? Where, where do I begin with that, right? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because, lucky for you, in a couple days, it's Ash Wednesday. Lent starts in three days. This intentional time of allowing ourselves to be perfected, of us becoming who God created us to be, to fulfill the very purpose for which he placed you on this earth in this time. That's the whole purpose of Lent. To dive more fully into that idea of perfection, to allow ourselves to be worked on by the Lord so that we can accomplish that goal. I think a lot of times Lent, it comes and goes. Life is moving so fast that it's, think about it, Advent and Christmas was started three months ago right? Lent's already here. We're going to blink. It's going to be Easter. Then it's going to be summer. And then Christmas will be back, right? It happens so fast. And we can kind of, it becomes just one of the things that happens next. So my concrete encouragement for you is that before Wednesday comes, have a plan. Take some time to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you inviting me to this Lent? Jesus, how do you want to come and dwell into my heart more fully so that I can be brought to perfection? To, I can allow you to perfect me to what you're calling me to. What area of sin, what area of weakness, what area of shame do you want to come and dwell in so that I can be brought to this perfection that you desire for me? Because Lent so often, because we, we, we just were flying along, Lent can kind of fall into like, you know, the weight loss season, right? We got to give up chocolate, sweets, snacks, right? So that we can kind of get fit. We put on the pounds from Christmas and Thanksgiving. Now it's in Mardi Gras, obviously. And so now's the time to like detox, right? But the purpose of Lent is, that, is, is to bring ourselves to perfection, right? And I can't tell you how Jesus is going to answer that question concretely in your life. What is the Lord inviting you to? Only he can do that. And we have to ask him that question. What I can offer is what the church has always offered as ways to help us to be very intentional with Lent about how we can allow ourselves to best be perfected. The three things the church has, has given us, you can probably think of them, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Those are the classical things that the church says, if I'm, I'm trying to, to, to be perfected. These are ways that expose ourselves to allow God to work in our hearts. So I'm going to touch on each one of those. Prayer. Reading a book right now, Prayer for Beginners by Peter Kreeft. Fantastic book. Everyone's a beginner. Everyone needs this book. And he says something. This is very simple. He says, eating keeps your body alive, and prayer keeps your soul alive. If you do not pray, your soul will wither and die. Just as if you do not eat, your body will wither and die. Very simple. It's as simple as that. God cannot come into our life. God, how, how can God come and to perfect us if I don't give him the time to do that? How can I hear what God is asking of me if I don't spend the time with him 
to focus on that relationship. If I don't intentionally put myself in that place, I'm not giving him the space to come in. And he's waiting all the time. Any moment we give him, he's going to take it with joy. In the Eucharist, in the Word, he's waiting. And so how, concretely this Lent, can I put myself in a place to hear Jesus talking to me? Whether that's the daily Mass, connecting ourselves to the mystery of the Eucharist, his gift to us. Coming to pray at adoration, in the church or in the adoration chapel. Maybe it looks like trying to take an hour in the adoration chapel for Lent and trying to make that regular prayer a thing. We're going to be starting at Aramuth on Wednesday nights to come and have intentional music and adoration time with Jesus. If I don't pray, my soul will wither and die. So if I'm thinking about what is my link going to look like, prayer has to be a part of that. I have to give the Lord the space and the time to speak to me and to my heart. Fasting. I know I just kind of dogged fasting and giving up sweets, but fasting is a very good thing. But it's a good thing with the right intention. I fast, not just for fasting's sake, I take something out of my life so that I can make space for the Lord to come in and dwell. It's a spiritual purpose of fasting. I'm clearing space for Jesus to come in. That's why prayer and fasting are so connected. Fasting gives me the space, and prayer allows the Lord to come in, right? So food might be in a good area of fasting. If that's a particular weakness for you, fasting from food is a very good practice. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's screens that so often distract us and turn our eyes away from where we ought to be, to be, uh, to be looking, right? Maybe instead of watching something on Netflix or YouTube or Disney Plus or whatever it is, I'll watch a video on, on I'll watch a, well, it can be on YouTube, but like a, a, a homily, a talk, a video or a resource from the formed website that the parish has. Filling my mind not with these mindless things, but with something that's actually keeping my gaze fixed on Jesus. And then almsgiving. Which almsgiving, we typically think we go straight to the money, right? But I've, if you look up the, the actual Greek word for almsgiving, what it literally means is mercifulness. The state of, of showing and, and receiving mercy. That's what almsgiving is. It's about giving mercy, literally. So traditionally, that does look like it, it's associated with money, right? Giving money to charity, giving money to the church, or giving money to whatever. And thinking, am I, is this just like an empty, hollow act? Am I just kind of putting my check in the thing and not worry, worrying about it? Or is it me actually offering to God the first fruits? Offering to the people who need it the first fruits as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of trust in God's providence. But almsgiving definitely isn't just limited to, to money. How can I show mercy to the people in my life? Who in my life perhaps needs to be reached out to? a family member or a friend who might be struggling, who might just need someone to be with them to talk to, and I know that, and I'm you know, feeling that tug, and you know, maybe this link can be a time for me to intentionally reach out to somebody who I know might need a, might need a hand. If almsgiving literally means like giving mercy, someone who's drifted from the faith, offering them divine mercy, the highest of all mercy. If I know someone, invite someone to come to Mass with you or to adoration. That's like perhaps the highest act of mercy. That is evangelization that Jesus calls us to. Some thoughts. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Those things that help us to give the Lord the space to work, to perfect us in our hearts. As we pray through the rest of this Mass, sit with that question. Jesus, what are you inviting me to? How is the Lord inviting you to intentionally allow him to more fully perfect your hearts? That's what he desires.
That's what Lent's all about. Have an answer to that question so that when Easter comes, we may truly experience that joy that he offers to us because we've made our hearts ready to receive him. May we receive him today and may that grace sustain us through these 40 days that are very quickly approaching. Amen.